Chrissy J. Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 72. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Brian Pilliman. Hey, Brian. Hello. Hello, people of the interwebs. Hey. Hey. Jess was unable to join us because he feels that his girlfriend's birthday is more important than a judging podcast. Which, but, but we have gotten, we have a celebrity. Yeah. We have the 12th doctor himself, James Elliott. Hello there. How are Hello. we doing tonight? Hello. Doing great. So good of you to make the journey through space and time to join us on our, our podcast, which I guess you really could have could have joined us any time in in your timeline. Maybe you were on the last episode already. I know. So what episode are we on in your timeline there well, you know, kind of wibbly wobbly timey wimey kind of stuff <laughs> already got that one out of the way <laughs> yeah go around the medusa cascade a hundred times and still be just on time <laughs> all right so james uh, why don't you tell why don't you tell us a little bit about this incarnation of the doctor which is uh the level two <laughs> the level two judge you know, people are going to think I'm really weird and I only talk about Doctor Who. It's not true. But um, I level to judge. I'm originally from Scotland. I've been working in southern Illinois now for the last eight years. Been in America for, I think it's now 11 years total. Maybe it's 12. And I teach organic chemistry as a, a college professor uh, to students in southern Illinois where I live and play lots of magic and judge lots of magic in between times I'm teaching lovely chemistry. Uh, James has also done a a few years ago. He did a, a survey for an unsporting conduct uh, seminar uh, for, right, for, yes. judge, for judge conferences, and it's still being done uh, uh, when when uh, James is making the rounds. And it's it's very entertaining. It's very informative. Uh, he's got videos, and he even, in addition to making up the scenarios, he also he also pulled judges as to you know whether they thought the scenario was USC minor, USC major, uh, aggressive behavior, that kind of thing. So, uh, is that is that online anywhere? It's interestingly, if you hadn't given me the call today, I would have I would have started actually writing up that as an article um, to submit in the next couple of weeks. So be a bit longer, but eventually, maybe in the next month, I want that to be a, a judge article and finally get that stuff tied together. So it's our fault this article is going to be late? <laughs> yes, it is. I am definitely going to take yeah. that. Uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, the idea started about, gosh, now it's been about two years since the thing initially came together. And Sean Cantonese, who had previously done an article on, on sporting conduct gave me a lot of help. I mean, he's not even the RC for my area. I'm like almost on the other side of the country. And he still bent over backwards to be lovely and nice to me and give me lots of help. Um, but that's what that's the kind of guy that Sean Cantonese is. And um, talked to a lot of judges, got a lot of ideas, and um, finally got cracking on it and got something finished, which I presented at a 
uh, Central Judge Conference last year, and that went well enough. I thought, let's put it on a bigger stage. And then I presented it at Grand Prix Charlotte um, earlier this year in February and uh, did two bouts on camera with that. So that seemed to go very well. So I think it's time to put it up as an article and try and put the video links into the article as well and maybe even do some new stuff because a lot of the, the feedback comes back. You think, well, hmm, maybe we could try this or this doesn't seem to be very well understood. And that was something that certainly came out with the survey that went out as well. I think for just about all 16 questions that I originally asked, you certainly had a majority who are on track and had the right penalty, the right infraction. Um, but it was only maybe about 40 or 50%. And then there's maybe 20% who are being a bit too lenient and maybe another 20% who are, okay, this this isn't, a, I don't think this is a warning. This is actually a game loss, you know, when it should have been a warning. Mm. And then for all, almost every question, there was that 10% who were just way off the chart something as minor as um, not shaking your opponent's hand at the end of the match which was one of the videos and some people said that should be a dq (laughs) what really do you think do you think that they they might have been shenanigans yeah i was gonna say trolling but that sounds more uh (laughs) uh refined (laughs) shenanigans it's it's certainly possible it's certainly possible um but it was always seemed to be there for almost every question. But um, I think there's still, certainly was still, to be fair, a lot of the people who answered the questionnaire, when you look at the data, the vast majority were just maybe level ones or budding level zeros. Um, uh, there were not many level threes who, who put their name to it. And interestingly, they, in the early days of the, of the questionnaire, some level threes said, oh, I'm not touching that with a barge pole. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I think some of them thought it would be too controversial. Um, but there was definitely uh, some room there where there just wasn't quite the the agreement and consensus that I thought there would be. I was, I was pretty surprised with a lot of the results. Hmm. Well, we'll definitely post that article on our uh, Facebook when it comes out. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely, guys. Oh, and but speaking of that, last last episode we had Jason Flatford. Was that last episode or longer? Feels like longer. It was two episodes. Two episodes yeah, two episodes ago. ago we had Jason Flatford on, and he talked a little bit about Judge Feud, and we mentioned how we were going to post that on our Facebook as well. But unfortunately, uh-huh. the sound for that did not come through, and they were not able to release that video. So that is yeah. never oh, okay. coming. Yeah. Ah, I didn't see it either. Yeah, it's sad. It was so there is no video evidence of the fact that Florida lost to Team International. Yeah, you did uh, on an EDH question. I am I. Oh, but yes. Anyway, this. yeah, we could spend a long time talking about that. Uh, let's Carador. Who says Carador? Let's dive into the news. <laughs> we have a new regional coordinator. Uh oh. His name is Yay. Brian. Uh, no, his name is George. George what? Oh, Trickta Trickta Apolop Trick. Oh wow, Tricopolos, Tricopolis, Tricopolis, George. His name's George. I just call him Gorgeous George. Gorgeous yeah. George, Gorgeous George, like the wrestler. Uh, you could call him the Predator also because he has these luxurious dreads, like a sliver, like a new sliver. Oh yeah, like a sliver, like the oh, yeah. had. Exactly. Hey, can so, I? Okay, you brought it up. People right. don't be upset that a race of shapeshifters changed their shape. Okay, get over it. Let's move yeah. from this point. 
One of them even changed into the RC of Eastern Europe. One of them is the RC of Eastern Europe. One of, does that mean if another sliver comes up, he will also be an RC? Yeah, they'll both be RCs of Eastern Europe. <laughs> both, but only if, you, <laughs> only, if only if you control them. Yes. yes. Uh, we also have a new level three judge named Salvatore La Terra. Ooh. Oh, good way to roll the Mars. Hey, like that? Yeah, I do. I have like four like and a half years of Spanish, buddy. Nice. <laughs> I know what's up. Yo quiero que pasa. <laughs> oh, wait, that's what I want. You'll say, que pasa? Uh, Brian. Yes. All right. Yes, we had so, another level three we haven't talked about much. Yeah, so we're going to let you guys off the hook. So we've made some jokes about it uh, in the past. Uh, so I'm going to come out and say I passed level three in uh, uh, Las Vegas. Woo! Oh, for baby. A, yes, for about a month now. <laughs> Um, with the way we announced it on the show, uh, I'm, I'm letting CJ off the hook because he's gotten a lot of comments about how mean yeah. he was <laughs> yeah. to me. James Elliott was even talking about it before this episode. It's like you were so mean to Brian. And what I'm going to do, what I want to do is I'm going to let let him off the hook and say the way we we did it or trolled me was actually my idea about four months before i took the test <laughs> it's true it was it was cj was was having a conversation he's like ah we're announcing level level three is the beginning of every episode people know this let I, maybe we should stop and i said Hey, I got the perfect idea. We will stop right before I make level three and we'll make a big point of stopping right then. And he was like, it's funny. And then Jess is like, well, you don't want to announce that you're level you when you make level three. And I'm like, nope, because it's well, why not? Because it's funny. And it's even funny. disturbance in the force. Yeah, when that <laughs> there was. It was like a like a thousand voices cried out. <laughs> Jess was a little so he's like he was like why why do you want to do that and I was like because it's funny and so it's even funnier that CJ got blamed for it has <laughs> been accused which was an unintended benefit but uh, it's it's gone on long enough CJ's off the hook it was my yeah. idea of my troll so we should be exterminated <laughs> yes was that, that Doctor Who that was a oh, Doctor okay. Who. <laughs> so so how has L three been treating you Brian is it uh, is everything different uh, now? I know you tell me you can make L2s about once a week. I I, I do, yes. <laughs> I could I could make you an L2 oh, CJ. Thanks. You're welcome. How? Um I've I'm on a few more uh a few more projects now. Uh I've got a, a project that I'm leading up uh where we are crawling through the IPG and we are doing a line by line breakdown of it. Which will be hopefully, hopefully we can get it up and approved and everything just in time for the new IPG to come out, and we have to take it down and make edits and make updates and changes and stuff. So you know, just like that recent IPG change that came out. Hey, segue. Hey, that is a segue. All right. So this came out a few weeks ago, actually, but changes are kind of minor, so we didn't have the episode on it yet. So we thought we would talk a little bit about the IPG newest one. Very exciting. You know that missed trigger policy you've memorized? It's still there. Nothing changed. Yay! Yay. No changes. I thought I'd strike a little fear in everyone first. Nope, still there. Seems to be working fine. I'm pretty happy with it personally. I think it hit. Mm. <laughs> well, anyway. It gener- it generate it still generates some questions when players are like, but how can I how can I make sure my opponents missed the trigger? 
And then the question comes up, well, you could ask them. And it's yeah. like, but if I ask them, then they won't miss it. <laughs> we, and we just kind of like laugh and smile and go, exactly. Yes. Well, here's, here's the thing that gets me. I mean, the trigger policies were changed because they presumably, supposedly, the players didn't like the idea of being a douchebag and not saying something. Right. And so they changed things. And so, and they're still not happy. I mean, you're never going to get everybody to be happy. Some people just need to complain. Well, I, I, I think it's, and I, and I made this, this, this comment was, uh, you know, they there was a there was an episode of the magic show where he was talking about like you know when when players missed when when a player missed the trigger and the opponent you know pointed it out he felt like superman you know da 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 writing wrongs and fighting for justice but then when they missed a trigger and he didn't say anything he was felt like the joker you know ha 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 neener neener and where right. i always thought that was kind of kind of a bad analogy was well before um you it was cheating like this was way back it was cheating if you didn't point it out so it's sort of like superman was superman only because he would be you know kicked off earth if he wasn't but now that there wasn't that constraint you could actually if your opponent missed the trigger you could actually say hey and you know there's no external force other than your own you know personal creed right you know they were just like ah oh, well obviously i'm 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 not going to point that out because well it's just stupid to do so it's like well you know but I feel like a jerk when I do it, but I'm still going to do it. Well, you know, that was that's a choice uh, that's that's legal now. You know, you just own it and be on with it. OK, so I didn't mean to go on that tangent. So to be clear, no changes to the missed trigger policy. <laughs> and we have a lot to get through today. So uh, that a hint. Let me let me paint a scenario for you. I don't think that's right. A tableau. Uh, I cast Sphinx's Revelation, X is three. Uh, you know, well, let's just say I tap six lands, right? And I think Sphinx's Revelation costs two mana, but it actually costs three mana. I go to my opponent. I say, draw four. And the opponent's like, oh, oh I got him now. I'm going to get him and get a game loss because he can only actually draw three off of Sphinx's Revelation. The opponent says, sure, buddy, draw four. And then I draw four and the opponent calls over a judge. Well, there was a time where that was a game loss, but now if you well, so so basic. Wait, hold on. What? Uh, so you well, not time as opponent. The opponent is knowingly confirming an incorrect number. Yeah, yeah. How about how about let's let's go with okay. That is that is still DQ. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's let's go with, let's go with a scenario that's um uh there's a there is a torpor orb in play i think that's the the one that uh creatures entering the battlefield don't trigger yeah okay torpor orbs in play you control it i drop an eternal witness and i say i drop an e-wit and i go get back my snapcaster mage and the opponent goes sure because he's forgotten about torpor orb too you pick that card up from your graveyard and put it in your hand okay now uh that was two months ago. What was that? I, I put a card into my hand illegally. Um, and it gets to this question about like, was there a game rule violation beforehand? And I got into discussions like, well, there was there was nothing to indicate that. But the opponent confirmed it. So doesn't that kind of count for something? Well, now with the new policy, uh, yes, it does. Hooray. Hooray. So. Yay. Hooray. So the new wording for drawing extra cards 
added a little bit about if a player received confirmation from his opponent before drawing the card, including confirming the number of cards when greater than one, the infraction is not drawing extra cards. So in the case of, you know, the opponent, the the player looks at his opponent, does something and is like, draw two? And his opponent's like, yeah, draw two, when he was really supposed to only draw one, okay? And there's no, you know, cheats going on, you know? That's that is not drawing extra cards anymore. That's a game rule violation that we handle via the the normal game rule violation rules. Sure, you can even look at the examples which are in the drawing extra cards policy. When you look at the one for Howling Mine, if the Howling Mine's gone and you try and draw a card for Howling Mine, there was no problem just before he drew the card. But if you say to your opponent, as a lot of players sometimes do, okay. I draw for Howling Mine and then draw for my turn. If you say that to them and they say, yep, you know, they give a, a verbal confirmation about drawing for Howling Mine, then again, that'd be a, a, now an example which wouldn't be a, a game loss. Right. So so how exactly would, would we fix this? Okay. So uh, game rule violation. Oh, actually, oh, oh, I missed an opportunity. Crap. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not setting you up, Doctor Who. No, I've already made it clear. I don't know how to do that, but if I do accidentally, then go for it. <laughs> okay, so if it's not drawing extra cards, then it's something else, and you run through the list of things that it could possibly be, uh, and you're probably going to come across a game rule violation because game rule violation is the wonderful catch-all for all things for all gameplay errors that aren't anything else. So when you come to game rule violation, game rule violation actually has a section in it that deals with uh, returning cards. Uh, cards incorrectly placed in the hand are returned to the location in the zone from which they were moved to. Okay, which includes from the hand to the, you know the battlefield to the graveyard to the library. Um, if the identity of the incorrectly drawn cards is not known to all players, a random card is returned instead. Okay, this is when you were doing the backup. So this is this is this is this is part of the backup. So if if the game's progressed too far, or you feel that a backup is is no longer able, or the head judge feels that you're no longer able to do a backup. Uh, then the game state stays where it is. But if you can do a backup, then you're going to return the card to the zone it came from. Um, and if if that zone is, you know, to the library or if, you know, and the, the card that was drawn, you're rewinding that, isn't known, then you're going to pick a random card instead. Uh, notice there's no shuffle because, you know, you just take a random card from their hand and put it on the back of the, on, on the top of their library. Right. And don't shuffle. And even if we're not going to back the game state up, we'd still get them to put that card back if it was known or a random card if it was unknown. What was that? I was just saying, even if we weren't going to back up the, the game to the original point, even if we didn't back up, that's one of the exceptions, along with checking state-based actions, we would still get them to put that card back to the original zone. Well, so you're talking about one of the exceptions to uh, GRV? Right. To, about the, the card in wrong zone? Well... That's actually that actually was one of the other things that changed with this policy. Um, so the policy before was, hey, if a card's in the wrong zone, put it back in the proper zone. Um, so the wording on it actually changed this time around, too, uh, because judges, myself included, were using it improperly. 
so now what it's it's much narrower. Uh, the new wording is if an object changing zones is put into the wrong zone uh, and the uh, the identity of the object is known to all players and is within the turn, put that object in the correct zone. So this only applies now to objects changing zones. So if it's supposed to go to the graveyard and it goes to exile instead, um, that's the change now. Uh, like I said, it's much narrower. Like it used to player uh, judges have been using it in the past to something like, oh, well, that creature was supposed to die. So it's in the wrong zone. So let's go ahead and put it in the correct zone. Uh, that is not the case. That's not the point of uh, the uh, the partial fix. And and when this came out, I even, you know, was like, hey, Toby, the wording on this now says this and that has this implication. And he's like, uh, yep, that's because people were doing it wrong. Like, uh, OK, so, so it is now the 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 partial fix is now uh, if an object is changing zones and gets goes into the wrong zone, then you're allowed to move it to the correct zone as a partial fix within a turn but within a turn brian i wasn't gonna yes. stop you there because we we're gonna talk about that anyway i yes. i feel that james is actually referring to the partial fix before that one which is uh right. which we were about to talk about anyway if a player forget forgot to draw cards discard cards or return cards from their hand to another zone that player does so um it's it's a little bit iffy a definition of forgot there but i think you could stretch this one to apply well, the whole the whole, you know, if you forgot to draw cards or discard cards or return cards from their hand to another zone. So if if a like, for example, brainstorm, that's to handle like the case of, of brainstorm, like I draw my three cards and then I don't put the, the two cards back on top of my library. Right. OK, that's that's more what this is supposed to 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 do. So if it's if it's if it's hey I drew a card from Howling Mine okay yeah and and it's been too long to rewind it then you you keep that card oh wow that really is narrow now yeah yeah I see they're going with this Brian right okay yeah so we just so, kind of glossed over it a little bit but that's a, a new addition to the partial fix also unrelated to everything we were just talking about is that it used to be there was a partial fix that if a player forgot to discard cards or return cards from their hand to another zone we can go ahead and do that right now we don't have to worry about it uh, an additional partial fix is if a player forgot to draw cards now as well as discard cards or return cards we can do this without doing an entire rewind yeah. um, right so this so it, it used to just be like in the last iteration it was hey if you forgot to draw your card for turn that became that that was the partial fix if you forgot to draw your card for turn do so right now it's if you forgot to draw any card, like if you blah, 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 Ice Sphinx's revelation for five, and then you mark down the five life gain, and then you guys go on doing stuff, and then like you, you know, cast a spell or something like that, and you're like, oh, crap. I forgot to draw my five cards from Sphinx's revelation. I don't know why, because presumably you cast Sphinx's revelation for the five cards, but let's just this is let's pretend just play, it happened. Let's play what if. Okay, you forgot. We draw those cards now. Yep. That is that is a partial fix. And, and the one thing I want to clarify there is, say you have a Howling Mine out and you forget your trigger for Howling Mine. Well, that's still missed trigger, and you're not going to get that draw. You forgot the trigger not to draw a card there. Right, right. So, so when again, with game rule violations, you look at all the other infractions first, and if one fits, one of them fits better, use that one, okay? Then whatever's left, you know, game rule violation is that grease trap at the bottom of the grill, 
you know, <laughs> whatever whatever doesn't get caught up at the top just kind of falls down into into GRV. <clears throat> okay. All right. Yep. So, and then you already talked about the change to the uh, the object in the wrong zone. Yes. Okay. So there was there was one other minor minor change that has that has relevance because it it pertains to an argument that Jess and I had on the air. Oh, I <sighs> I thought I saw that. I was rereading that section and I was like, isn't that what Brian and Jess were arguing about? <laughs> yeah. So so uh, improper draw at start of game. Um. So there was a, a discussion about um. <clears throat> when uh what a legal action was and who took what legal action uh the wording on in the ipg was a, a, a little ambiguous as to who took the legal action like like whose legal action basically kicked it from improper draw and start a game to drawing extra cards so right now the, the new wording on the ipg is uh, the definition a player draws the wrong number of cards during pregame procedures or does not skip their draw step while playing first okay this infraction is only issued before that player it used to say the, the player, player, yeah, but now it says that player takes a visible legal action during the game. <clears throat> so before, when it said the player, well, which player is it referring to? The active player? You know, it was a little unclear, but now it says that player. That player is the one that committed the infraction. So basically, they it's improper draw at start a game for them until they take a... Uh, of a visible legal action. Okay. Once that happens, um, if it's discovered after that point, it's now drawing extra cards. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so that's it for the IPG. Yep. Real, real simple stuff, more or less. Uh, in the MTR, there is basically just one minor change, and I'm going to call it the Las Vegas update. <laughs> James, were you at Las Vegas? No, I okay. was not. Yeah, me neither. Sad panda. All right, Brian, you tell us why we have this change. Oh, OMG, I opened a foil Tarmogoyf I want to drop. Yes. Um, so they changed they changed the the MTR to clarify uh, when players are allowed to drop from events. And the answer is yes. Yes, you can drop, which it was you before Vegas, too. Like we were already saying, yeah, it's right. fine to drop with your pool. This isn't this isn't really a, a change in 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 policy. This is just strengthening the wording because a lot of people, a lot of people were getting really, really upset at the fact that someone could open something really awesome and not have to pass it. Right. So and it's it's always been the case where it was allowed, but it was the the wording in the IPG was a little bit a little bit weird. Um, and so they they firmed up the language. So, yes, if you open a really sweet pool, you can leave with it. The it's mostly to supposed to handle like, hey, you know, I'm sitting down for a sealed event and then I get a text and my wife just went into labor. I need to go. Okay, that's what it's really there for. But the guys that just pull something sweet and want to leave, they they get to, in essence, come along for the ride in terms of that. Like we we, you know, we make a provision for the emergency case. And the last thing you want judges to do is like, oh, no, man, your reason for leaving is invalid enough. You know, because then we're putting players in a position. It's like, oh, well, if I lie and say that my mother just had a heart attack, then they'll let me go. Yeah. No, no. Plus, of course, trying to take the cards off them, things could get pretty ugly quickly. Right. We are not law enforcement officers. Although although the idea of Robo Judge <laughs> from uh, from New Detroit 
is Delta City. Kind of, yes, Delta City RoboJunk. Now, if we want to make RoboCop references, I'm down, guys. <laughs> I can do that all but, day. Well, I mean, RoboCop was really just an early prototype for a Cyberman, right? Right. What? Well, <laughs> See, look, I brought it back. Hail uh, Cop. <laughs> all right. Okay. So this episode was supposed to be an episode where we're going to get caught up on our emails because we have not done emails over the past two episodes because both were specials about other topics. A few emails to get caught up on. So so many emails. We're about to just dive right in and behind the scenes thing, I can't even 100% promise we're going to actually do all of the emails we have, but we're going to get through as many as we can. James, because you knew I was being mean to Brian Perlman, it sounds like you might listen to the show a little bit. Yeah, I usually if I'm going to a PTQ or something, I'll put it on when I'm driving off in the car somewhere. Do he puts it as a Facebook status so we know yeah. too. Oh, nice. Yes. Most, most of the time I'm going to uh, an event, I've usually got a drive of maybe two or three hours, so I can usually get one or two episodes in. Uh, so it's been a while since we've done it, but do you know what I'm going to ask for you from you here? Oh. Moving to the mailbag. Uh, oh, um, mailbag. <laughs> sounded, it sounded like spooky. Mr. <laughs> or Mr. Ed. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a reference. Oh, uh-huh. yes, an old reference. Thank you. Yeah, it was an old reference. There, th- was that wasn't even a joke. That's an old reference. Like, but I used to stay up late and watch it. On Nick, on at, Nick night. at Night, yeah. Obviously on Nick at Night. All right, our first email comes from Stuart Slough. He says, first off, congratulations <laughs> to Brian Filament on reaching level three. Just funny. Oh, hey. Yeah, Brian's response was, what? I made level three. Um, <laughs> must be some sort of typo. I, I, <laughs> nope. Jim Center still says I'm level two. It must be a filthy oh, rumor. Must be a typo. Uh, I hope whatever new responsibilities don't stop you from being on this podcast. Your co-hosts may complain when the episode goes long, but personally, I love it. It just means more great JudgeCast content. I have gone back and listened to all the episodes since you three took over the show. And then slightly negative things about the previous hosts. Which oh, I just, love the previous hosts. They're way better say, than us. He just says that he he enjoys the banter more. He enjoys They're, us more than them. He's not saying they were bad. Yes, but, he is. But he also says that it's partially because they were talking about World Wake, which I guess is fair. Because <laughs> uh, the way you three play off each other is quite enjoyable. So he says, was that enough front-loaded praise? It is still all true. So we said something at some point that made people keep sending us this front-loaded praise. I, I said it. And <laughs> it's getting more and more extravagant lately. I, I, I personally enjoy it. It makes, it makes these things... Uh, they're the highlight of my day. <laughs> so now my rules question. In limited formats, I have always heard that deck building rules are that you can use any cards you open, barring packing problems, and any number of basic lands. Do they really mean any basic lands or just forest, island, mountains, plains, and swamp? Could I bring snow-covered lands instead? They are basic lands. I know that unless you're playing in a cold snap or ice age, blah, 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 blah. Can you play with the snow lands? So, James, what do you think about this? I've actually had this question a couple of times. Yeah, me he too. didn't bring his own snowlands but he he did bring his own um non-swampy foresty plainsy type of lands as you know and the poor guy has to say no that's not going to work for you i'm afraid um and um you know because these cards are sometimes have meaning in the rules of the game and and for some strategies that might be involved in that particular block. So, no, you can't bring your extra copies of Snowlands if that's relevant to the format. Yep. The 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 MTR even says so. You may not add additional Snowlands like Snow Covered Forest, even in formats in which they are legal. So, if you're playing right. uh, Ice Age Alliances, Cold Snap, Block 
or not block, uh, uh, some sort of sealed craziness. Uh, yes, you may add whatever basic lands, but you're only playing with the snow lands you opened or drafted. Yeah. So it might be, haha, look at me, it's funny. Uh, it's not allowed. Sorry. Sorry. Our next game. It is, it is funny. But. <laughs> Our next mail comes from uh, Robbie Schmidt. He says, hey, I can't believe you guys did a shout out for me. Robbie Schmidt, level one judge from Calgary, Canada. He says that he said something like we signed his playmat. You guys at, uh... are so much better than Judge Gasnor and you and had you both sign my coffee stain playmat. Uh, he said, thanks a lot. I will have some good questions to send you sometime soon. Again, thanks for everything you've done. I wouldn't be a level one without you guys. No problem, Robbie. Yep. I wasn't there, so I didn't sign his playmat. But but now you have to go to an event that Robbie's at so he can he can get the 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 full set. Well, he's from yeah. You jump on a plane to Calgary. I was gonna say he's from Calgary. So what? Well, wasn't there? How long have we had this email? And wasn't there a Grand Prix in Calgary just recently? CJ, I'd have to get a passport too. CJ, just sneak across the border, man. I mean, it's it's look how long and big it is. Government kind of looks down on that stuff these days. What's that? The government kind of looks down on that stuff. These Not days. if we don't tell them. Right. Right. Exactly. Just say you got lost. You were like out like you're doing just dressed in your lumberjack outfit and just say you were logging. And there you go. <laughs> Canadians are nice. They'll take anybody. They will. Forests. Exactly. All right. Our next mail comes from Adam Wilson, and he has a quote in his signature from Edgar Allan Poe. So I'm going to read it because I like reading these things. Those who dream by day are cognizant of many things which escape those who dream only by night. Edgar Allan Poe, Eleonora. All right. He says, hey, guys, I've got a couple questions for you. If I use Tezzeret, Agent of Bolus's ability to turn my Demir Clue Stone into a 5-5 creature, will it retain its abilities? And this is the second question. We'll answer this one first. So, uh, Tezzeret, let me read his last. Yes, what does Tezzeret say? Yeah. His, uh, his, the ability he's talking about is, uh, minus one target creature, target artifact becomes a five, five artifact creature. (laughs) Yep. And so a Demir Clue Stone is, you'd think I'd know what, uh, it taps for mana of, uh, blue or black, and then you can pay some mana and sack it and draw a card, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, so can it can it still tap for mana, and can you sack it to draw a card if it's a five five creature? If it's made a five five creature with Tezzeret's ability, and the answer is yes. Dun da dun. So unlike changing land types, um, changing the other types, like making a, an artifact a creature uh, or a creature into uh, uh, an enchantment or something like that doesn't actually remove any of the abilities you know there's there's a few exceptions to that like auras and equipments and stuff like that um but uh uh yeah it keeps it keeps that so it's still going it is a five five that can tap for mana and you can sack it and uh uh uh, draw a card yep the only thing i want to add is if you make it a five five creature the turn it comes into play it won't be able to tap for mana because it's summoning sick Oh, your clues don't sick. So sick. It's sad. Is it a blue clues stone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Strictly speaking, no. James, this one's for you. My second question is, if I have three artifacts turned into creatures with Tezzeret Agent of Bolus's ability and regenerate them, will they still be creatures? Let me just get up to speed here. 
Uh, could you repeat the question sure. again? My, he says, my second question is, if I have three artifacts turned into creatures with Tezzerite Agent of Bolus's ability and regenerate them, will they still be creatures? Um, was, I'm trying to call up the card text here, and it keeps auto-correcting my oh. typing. Um, it doesn't, the I text mean, doesn't off, matter. Off if, my, if you have... Off, yeah, it's just... Off the top of my head, I mean, the regeneration is a replacement effect, so it doesn't actually go to the graveyard, so it should be the, the yeah. same object, so they yeah. should still be creatures. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's exactly it. And then Brian Perlman made a Dennis the Menace joke on here, and I don't know. Hey, man, if they go through the hassle of, like, writing, like, the, you know, you guys are awesome kind of stuff, then I want to give them a little something back, right? Yeah, isn't that a bribe, though, so they get a mention on the show? Well, yeah. We read all the emails. But that's... But that's... <laughs> No that's, one's special. That's fine. Look, if they if they want to like shower us with praise and feed my ego to get us to pay attention to them on the show, that is a symbiotic relationship that I'm okay with. All right, just say. <laughs> Next mail comes from Steve Stephen <laughs> Asselman, who uh, in his signature put that he's a judge level zero, player level one, old timer level seventeen. Whoa. Says he started casual on Mirage. So did I. Hey. Wow. So that means he, you're also old timer level seventeen. Apparently. Yes. Phasing was awesome. Hi, first of all, I guess I wish you a great free release weekend this weekend. Second, wait, 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 what's this? What's this comment? Uh, S- Stephen Asselman, who is Dutch, and thus my name sounds 98% like Raven Castleman when spoken with a proper Scottish accent. Hey, who do we know with the Scottish accent? Yeah, I don't know. Stephen Asselman, if it's said with a proper Scottish accent, would it sound 98% like Raven Castleman? Stephen Asselman? Yeah. That's pretty I close. don't think it has any effect. Oh. <laughs> oh. What are the odds? That's actually why we had to the show is just to rebuke, <laughs> just to rebuke this guy's claim that Stephen Asselman sounds like Raven Castleman. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'd like to compliment you for bringing us a show about rules that it actually isn't boring. Kudos. That's like we get that praise a lot, which I'm kind of impressed, honestly, that we're able to pull that off. What rules aren't boring? (laughs) (laughs) Believe the lie. Believe the lie. Uh, He says in the IPG, I saw this um, was an infraction. Uh, He's talking about bribery. So basically asking for a concession or anything like that. Yeah. So, so he specifically, he's like a player asked for a concession in exchange for the prize for a prize split. So he seems to let's see here. Where's where's the question? So basically, basically, he's he's asking if there's a situation where um, there's a side event where you get two packs per win and you get nothing for a draw. Okay. Uh-huh. Um. So in a particular situation where time is being called. And the players are in game three. It's one one. They're playing game three, you know, and it's two packs for a win and no packs for a draw. How how can the players get get their two packs? And well, first off, the the, the answer is we, we actually really don't or, or I personally don't like prize structures that encourage this encourage putting players into this kind of situation yeah i agree i mean because because what happens is is bribery is pretty clear um it says that any match result you know basically if the if the match result is influenced by an offer of incentive or reward then it's bribery or collusion so how 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 can you phrase hey if you give me the win we'll split packs which is what you want to do but that's kind of the very definition of what you're not allowed to do um so so 
how can you do it? Well, you really can't. Okay, you can you can try to play word gymnastics, but the IPG is actually and the, and the, the MTR is actually written so that you know there are no magic words that you can say to or, or to get around it because we can we can look at intent. Okay, as opposed to the, the specific words. Um, the the big thing is if you want to say, would you like to split? And he goes, and the opponent goes, yes. Uh, then then. I concede, or would you like to concede then now that there's no incentive to continue playing? Yeah. Right. Those those are fine AOK hunky dory things to do. But if your phrasing has an if in it, you know, or even an implied if really, right. uh you're 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 yeah, if your opponent asks you something that has an if and there's a there's a match result uh, dependent on that if, then you need to be calling a judge because you've just been there's been an attempted bribery there. Oh no! You just don't want the two ideas to come together in the same breath. You don't talk about an unnatural finish to the game and the prizes being distributed in a new and strange way. Yeah. Put those two ideas together, <clears throat> a proposition, and you're in big trouble. So we can probably do an entire episode on like subtleties of of bribery. So basically, the best the best thing to do is just if if you're asking if yeah if you're linking the results to packs or anything like that, that's that's bribery. There there is an exception. Okay, in the final round of the single elimination portion of a tournament. Okay. That, and that's basically an ex, uh, an exception case that's there to allow for, hey, I can't, you know, we're playing in the Pro Tour. And one player's like, well, I want the packs. And the other guy's like, well, I want to go to the Pro Tour. Okay, then that's allowed. And I would encourage people to read, who are really worried about it, to read the entry on the MTR. Because like I said, it's probably a, an episode... You know, there's enough material there for an episode in the future, but sure. you know, everywhere, everywhere but the final round, and even that has some restrictions on it. But packs for wins or or FNM promo for wins, no, just say no. Friends don't let friends bribe. Right. Yes. But this is really important for the game because you know we're guardians of the game's image, and having bribery going on is really not good for magic at all. Yeah, it's true. Oh, right. So you all set. So, yes. So, well, bringing it back to the beginning, um, we encourage if your TO is doing something, a setup where it's like, hey, something that's easily divisible by two players, you know, you get for a win, but you get nothing for a draw. uh, You're going to run into you're going to run into problems where the two players are going to be sitting at each other and they're going to look at each other and be like, well, we get nothing if we draw. But if we split, you know, or, or if you concede to me, then I'll give you one of the packs that I want. And and that's that's not something that we want to put players into that awkward, awkward situation. Yeah. So next email. Right. This one's a doozy. It's from Dylan Murphy. Okay. Hello, Judge Dylan Murphy. Dylan Murphy. <clears throat> Hello, Judge Cast. Love the show. You guys do a great job. I am not a judge myself, just a guy who loves to find the weirder rules interactions in the game. Wait, he's not a judge? No. We're done with Next this. email. Next email. <laughs> <laughs> he says, just to top that other guy, I am a possible potential aspiring judge. Because I think somebody said they were a potential aspiring judge. 
Oh, so he's a possible potential? Possible potential aspiring judge. So that's starting to get a little wishy-washy there. <laughs> I have a bunch of questions I would love to hear you guys answer. So this this is the email where it's one email, seven questions, or maybe I don't know. six it's, questions. It's a, it, it was a lot. It's a lot. So he says, first, I have a batch of questions revolving around actions taken during the cleanup step. Don't we all? Things that trigger off those actions and SBAs. It is my understanding that no player receives priority during the cleanup step unless something triggers and also that SBAs are only checked when a player would receive priority. Uh, uh, okay. So, so James, how does how does cleanup step? Uh, what happens during the cleanup step? Okay. So cleanup step, we, we do a lot of things to make sure the game is still in order. And we want to see if the players need to, the active player needs to discard down to a, a maximum hand size, a hand size. Then after that, after we get the, the hand sorted out, there's a couple of things that happen simultaneously without any player getting priority. We'll take any damage off the creatures for the turn and any effects that were due to last until the end of turn they finish at the same time. Yep. And then uh, uh, and then what, what happens? Well, hopefully nothing. Hopefully that didn't, <laughs> <cause>. <laughs> hopefully it didn't cause any any abilities to trigger or it didn't cause any state-based actions flagging uh, for right. something that's wrong with the game. Right. Because otherwise, we're going to have to give the active player priority and um, let them play. And we'll have to then have another cleanup step and keep things going until we get a cleanup step without any triggers and without any state-based actions flagging. Right. So, so most of most of Dylan's questions can can be answered by 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 what James just said or, or applying applying what James just said. Right. Uh, but let's breeze that? through them. Yes. So let's go. Let's just run okay. through them. So to start off, there's a couple of cards he mentions. One, Sturmgeist, and the important thing about that is he has power and toughness equal equal to the number of hand. Can, Number of cards in your hand, not hands in your card. And also he talks about Nat Miser, which is a card that says yes. each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by one. So his first question, I have seven cards in hand. I control a Sturmgeist and my opponent controls seven Nat Misers because why not? Wow. Is, wow. is there a guy that reduces the hand by seven? Like, do we need there's seven a, net misers? Yeah, you could do, you could do, uh, uh, was it Detaxius? And I think there's a, yeah. a rat that reduces your hand size by two. So we can actually get this deck to be legal, <laughs> you know, by having, you know, like three of the guy that reduces your hand size by two and then one net miser. Yes. Right. Isn't, there also, isn't there also guys a card that lets you clone another creature X number of times if you've got enough mana? Oh, yeah. So uh, a kicked right of replication on a Nat Miser. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Uh, so we've got we've got a, we've got seven Nat Misers. <laughs> we move to the cleanup step and I discard to zero. Does my Storm guys die now or do we wait till the next time a player would get priority to apply SBAs, i.e. my opponent's upkeep? So this follows exactly what James said. After after we discard, we check SBAs. Yep. It's and and we have an SBA here. Yep. So we're gonna run through it and we yep. go like, oh, we got a zero zero. Guess he's going to the graveyard. <laughs> wah wah wah. Exactly. All right. Second question. I have seven cards in hand. I control a Sturmgeist, also known as Morrow, and a Blood Artist, and my opponent controls seven Nat Misers and a Megrin. <laughs> He's getting so he's playing that, that 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 black discard right of replication deck that's that's tearing up the uh, modern tournaments. So, blood artist is whenever blood artist or another creature dies, target player loses one life and you gain one life. Megrim is whenever uh, Megrim is uh, whenever an opponent discards a card, Megrim deals two damage to that player. Also known as Liliana's something. 
progress, maybe something. We move to the cleanup step and I discard to zero. Do the McGrim triggers go on the stack? Then SBAs are checked and Sturmgeist dies and the Blood Artist triggers on the stack above them. So so (laughs) basically during the cleanup step, the first thing that happens during cleanup is you discard your cards. Then everything that, you know, all damage is removed from creatures and all that stuff. So when you discard your cards, that's actually the trigger event for Megrim or Megrim or Megrim, you know, whatever it, you know, uh, uh, what was that? What was that? Porculus. Um, <laughs> Porculus. Porculus? Porculus. So the, that's the trigger event. But the triggers don't actually go on the stack until players receive, uh, uh, until right before players receive priority. So we're actually going to run through and check state-based actions. So there's going to be a round of state-based actions checked before all these triggers uh, go on the stack. So in that particular case, we've got the Megrim triggers just kind of sitting there waiting. We have the state-based action uh, gets checked. Uh, Stormgeist is going to Stormgeist, Stormger, whatever. Porculus is going to die. Morrow <laughs> is going to die. Then the bl- So that actually causes the Blood Artist's trigger event to happen. Now, nothing's actually gone on the stack yet, but we've had Megrim's trigger events happen. We've had the Blood Artist's trigger event happen. Now that state-based actions have been checked, now we go, player is about to receive priority, we put the triggered events on the stack. Okay, And those follow, just like anything else, uh, just like any other triggers, APNAP order. The active player, which is you and your Blood Artist, you put your Blood Artist trigger on the stack, your active player. And the non-active player gets to put his Megrim triggers on the stack in any order he wants. So he could put Megrim, uh, you know, whichever. He's got seven triggers. He can mix and match those seven identical triggers any way he wants. Yeah. 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 So the, All right. the third and fourth question have basically the same answer. It's the same base situation, which is I have seven cards in hand. I control Sturm guys with three damage marked on it, and my opponent controls four Nat Misers. Uh, we move to the cleanup step, and I discard to three. Does my Sturm guys die? Yes, it dies. Then he throws in a Megrim. Does the Sturm guys die? Hold on. Yes. What? So wait, you said for simple three, you seven cards in hand, control a Storm Geist with three damage marked on it. My opponent has four Nat Misers. We move to cleanup. He's going to have to discard to three cards. Uh-huh. Does his Storm Geist die? No, it does not, because damage gets removed before state-based actions are checked. I have decked. Wait. Okay, so the discard the discard happens. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so the storm guy drops down. He is right now. He's a three three with three damage marked on him. Okay, but then right after discard, all damage marked on creatures is removed. So he now becomes a three three with no damage marked on him. Yeah, and now state based actions are checked, and he's he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. I don't know what he's complaining about from the start. I don't know either, man. No, yeah, he's yeah, probably no, upset. Right. He's probably upset because. He's misspelled Morrow. He's misspelled. He should be spelled Flying Morrow. Um, flying, flying Blue Morrow. And then he also throws Megram into the situation, but that's you know that's all based on the assumption that we had to have a trigger to actually have state-based actions happen, which is not true. So that doesn't and, change anything. And then he asks another variation on the same question. So another variation. We, and we responded to this in email. So uh, uh, our our boy, our boy, scrolling up, scrolling up. Our boy Dylan has the answers, but for the listeners. It's basically just a, a minor variation of the same question. Yeah, the slight difference here is he has a, he does the discard, his opponent does Megram triggers, and then he bolts the 4-4 four, four, and he asks his 4-4 four, four die. And the answer to that one is no. Damage, damage is removed already. Well, it's going to be removed again 
Yeah. We have the second cleanup. All right. Oh, and he asked, he asked one question about a loop. Oh man, this, this, this email never ended. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Next, I believe I've been going back and listening to old shows and the state-based action one number 40, I believe and specifically state-based actions are checking, checking over and over again until it runs clean. Got me thinking. Is there any way to go through a combination of replacement effects to get us state-based action loop? And if so, and if so, and it involves optional or ordering replacement effects, is there a fragmented loop to govern it? And basically, because I answer all these questions when I'm walking my dog, uh, I was just like, uh, I don't think so, yo. Um so no, I don't think so at all. I don't think so either. I mean, I think the state-based actions are, are pretty clear. I'm, I'm sure like some of like Eli Schiffer or James Bender, one of those smart guys, could come up with with like, oh well, these nine cards combine to make this. But you know, the the better we don't tell people about those nine cards, the better, right? No one's ever going to play them anyway. Well, there aren't. Uh, what? Oh, and there's mm. one more. Yeah. Oh, it just keeps going. Lastly, I recently found out that you pay X and a red when Flame Blast Dragoon's Dragon. ability resolves, uh, not when it goes on the stack. Are uh, are there any triggered abilities that you pay costs when they go on the stack, or are they all on resolution? Um, so let's see here. He goes, turn. Oh, did I not answer this part? I don't. I don't really. Think so. It's it's more. I mean, triggered triggered abilities. I don't think like when it triggers, pay for something. You know, it's it's triggered abilities and activated abilities aren't the same thing. Activated abilities, you pay the cost when it goes on the stack. Triggered abilities that require a mana payment, pretty much always ask on resolution because they they can't really ask you for a mana payment when they trigger. Sounds fine. Yeah, <laughs> it does sound fine. I might be wrong on that. I'm shooting from the hip on that one. But, it, you know, I, I, I mean, there might be like some card from like Portal or something like that that, that gets me. All right. Our next mail. There's no card from Portal that gets you. There's no trigger ability with a cost. I, I, <laughs> I'm just saying um, there's a lot of cards. I'm never going to say never. There's never been a triggered ability with a cost. Never, ever. How would that even work? It has a trigger condition know. and then you also have to pay the cost. Like, it doesn't make sense. Sure. I mean, no, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, whatever. We'll find it. And it makes the, the 14th gate. <laughs> Hey, we got to a million gates. All right, Scotty Booten has our next email. He says, hello, cast of Judge Cast. Long-time listener, first-time uh, typer. He typed out, uh, I'm an L0 from Somerset, New Jersey. First, I'm obliged to say that this show is absolutely amazing. It's great to hear so many people learning from you guys, and your shows always have a valuable lesson that we can all learn from, just like at the end of G.I. Joe. <laughs> I've been listening since the beginning, and you three certainly have filled the shoes of those before and then said, yo, F dat and got expensive slacks instead and rock those with style. The show seriously <laughs> kicks ass. We got expensive slacks. We did get expensive slacks. They're the, the stain resistant ones. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Shouldn't that be show kicks arse? Arse, yes, sure. Arse? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I feel very strongly about that. Okay. Okay. Scotty, you're wrong. <laughs> the show this show arse. kicks arse. Uh, as to his question, apparently we said something on the previous episode that kind of implied that casting a copy of a spell and copying a spell might be the same thing. Or I think we said something like, what's the difference or something? I don't know. We said something that must have caused confusion because Scotty wrote a beautifully well-written email about the differences and what cards they use and all that. But unfortunately, I'm not going to read all Scotty's email because... Yes, copying a spell and casting a copy are two different things. Like if something said you can't cast um, a spell, 
that's actually pretty dangerous territory because sometimes they say the named card can't be cast when in that situation you actually can cast the copy even if you can't cast the card. So, so yeah, so it's important. Some effects tell you to copy a spell, and when you copy a spell, you're not casting it. Some some effects let you copy a card and then cast it, like Isochron Scepter, in which case you are casting, okay? And then casting a spell is just casting. So to clarify, you know, um, putting a copy, copying a spell is not the same thing as casting it. You're not going to trigger your Kiln Fiend or anything like that by putting a copy of a spell on, yeah. a stack, on the stack. Okay, so next mail uh, from Tim, a listener from Germany. He says, hey, judges, I really like your show, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Seems lazy. He wrote blah, blah, blah. That wasn't me just cutting it short. You have to do this in a German accent. I, how, how would you do it with a German accent? Yeah, you're from Europe. Well, I'm British. I just shout louder in English. I lived, <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Germany for three years, and I still I don't think I could do this. Uh, he says, because we were talking about Colossal Whale, how the art doesn't match. This is for our, our art podcast that we're going to have one day, because the art yeah. is way bigger than the power of toughness. He said, have so, you taken... So, James, how do you, how do you feel... You you've seen the art for colossal whale right um let me just quickly look it up all right please do I remember. look that up and then very serious question does that look like that's a five five to you um this is gonna get back and he's gonna be like what the hell did you guys do while i was <laughs> gone colossal whale no i'm not i spelled it properly let's see um like look at the boat near his eye i don't know it's like yeah. in, in europe they probably add like use extra used colossal something. <laughs> you know that's like an extra l actually but oh um it looks pretty colossal to me, I have to say. But does it look like a 5-5 or like a twenty twenty? Does it look like a Thragta should be able to kill that thing? Does it look like five Sanctuary well, cats should be able to kill that thing? Four, six. Maybe maybe it's got bad teeth, you know, and just can't really chew. Maybe just gums them to death or something. That's true. I have heard of those whales that can only, like, take in, like, kelp. Oh, like oh, like, like the little the little brine shrimp? But it should still be like a five twenty, you know? Right. Anyway, uh, Tim Tim points out that Vastwood Gorger is the same thing. He's like a 5'6", but if you actually look at the art, it has these tiny little people. Although Colossal Whale is still way bigger than Vastwood Gorger. So, actually, Vastwood Gorger would kill Colossal Whale. So I'm going to I'm gonna run this out there. You know, the, you know, the Colossal Whale could consume a thousand ships at one go. Do you know why? 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 Because it's bigger on the inside. Oh, look at that. He made a, col- he made a TARDIS joke. <laughs> And CJ doesn't get it, and that oh. makes it even funnier. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I assume it is every time That's I don't okay. get it. What was, what was the name? What was the name again of of Rose's boyfriend, the one that just didn't get it? Oh, Mickey? Mickey. Mickey, you're Mickey. Oh, yes, Mickey. and you don't even get that joke either. No, you don't, don't even know if you're insulted or not. Um, so, <laughs> so on IRC, and this is this is what one of the things that we do on IRC when we're having judge discussions. Um, we actually sat down and said, okay, if a using a blue whale's proportions. Okay, if a blue whale's eye is this big and a pirate ship is this big, how big is, and assuming that the colossal whale's eye is the same size as a pirate ship, how big is the colossal whale? And rough calculations within, you know, you know, 10%, three and a half miles. (laughs) That's pretty colossal. That's okay. Now, if you if you go look at Big Furry Monster. Guys, we're overthinking this. Hold on. Hold on. If you look at Big Furry Monster and you see that he has a polar kraken hanging from his earring and the head of that polar kraken is about the same as, a, as the size of his eyeball. Okay. And again, using the same thing, you go look at the polar kraken. Polar kraken's head way, way smaller than a pirate ship. 
So, colossal whale bigger than a big furry monster. But, Brian, we also discussed that the colossal whale may be from Segovia, where everything is tiny. Doesn't say Segovian colossal whale. I'm just saying that would explain it. It's colossal in relation to everything on Segovia. Maybe everything's from Segovia, and we just don't know it anymore. (laughs) That would make sense. (laughs) What? It would. No, it wouldn't. It would totally. Our next mail is titled... It's from Christopher Meyer, who we have gotten many emails from. Uh, James, I'm going to throw this one your way, so get ready. He says, okay. hey guys, love the show forever. Don't ever stop, even after you die. All with exclamation wow. marks. A little creepy. Well, I just regenerate, so. And then he <laughs> asks us questions about mono black decks. Yes. So, I mean, he might actually have a plan. So, <laughs> rules question. Mono black dude has 10 swamps and casts corrupt. Um, so, says, corrupt says something like, deals damage and you gain life equal to the deals damage equal to the amount of swamps you control and you gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. Uh, and he casts it corrupt targeting mono red dude who does not have any swamps. Mono red dude then casts wild ricochet and directs both corrupts at mono black dude. So wild ricochet lets you change the targets of a spell and then also copy that spell and choose new targets for that copy. Yeah. Do you need a moment to get that text up? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah. Wild ricochet has <laughs> got some parts going to it's it. It's got a lot going on. Here it comes, Wild Ricochet. So, while you're looking that up, uh, basically he wants to know what's the end result here. Because what we effectively have is a copy of Corrupt targeting Mono Black Dude, and then Mono Black um, Dude's own mon- Corrupt no. targeting himself. Have, okay, right. And so, I mean, uh, let's see, choose new tar- so you're changing targets for that original spell, but you're not changing who controls the spell. Okay, right. Um, so it's still, it's not going to change the, the, the swamp value on that. But for the new one, uh, then copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. That's uh, a new copy of the spell based on the fact that he doesn't have any swamps. Right. right. So what's what's the end result here? So that original spell, which is uh, redirected, is still going to do... Is it h- targeting a creature? It's targeting um, the player. The player. He's, he's redirecting it back. So the, okay. the mono black dude's casting at the red guy, mono red guy. Mono red guy is basically punting it back onto him. With then some. Yeah. So the original spell should do, should do plenty of damage for that for 10. But um, the copy that he controls is going to be based on how many swamps he has, and he doesn't have any. So it's not as effective as he would like it to be. It looks like 10 damage all yeah. in. Well, it's got uh, Corrupt has a, a second line to it that says, you gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. So it's going to deal 10, 10 damage, and then the very next sentence is going to, Mono Black Dude is going to gain 10 life right back. Right. All right, I see where you're going. Yeah. Right, okay. Should have looked up corrupt as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not what's 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 important about this is it's not okay. So technically, from your life pad, you know, it's a wash. I lost ten and then I gained ten. So you might think of that as zero. But if you have anything that triggers off of life gain or triggers off of uh, off of loss of life, you right. did both of those <laughs> things. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it's funny. But if you were at uh, Maybe you just said this. If you were at like five or something, you wouldn't die. Even though you went to negative five and then came back up to five, you wouldn't die because there's no state-based action check there. Right. Not during the resolution of a spell. Right. All right. Our next email comes from Aaron Murray. And this one um, we actually had a, had a little a little judge cast discussion about because I disagreed with Jess and Brian, which, of course, ended up being the incorrect move. But he says, I have a question about an odd interaction that I saw while playing Duels of the Planeswalkers 2014 on Xbox. Here is what happened. So player one has a Phantasmal image, which is a copy of a Colonian Tusker. So that's just a 3-3 vanilla. 
and then Phantasmal Image, beca- uh, you sacrifice it when it becomes a target of something. Player two casts Prey Upon, targeting his own Tusker and the Phantasmal Image t- Tusker. So at this time, Phantasmal Image triggers, and it sacrifice triggers on the stack. In response, player one casts Tinquet, t- Twin Cast, and copies the Prey Upon and chooses the same two targets. All right, so we're copying Prey Upon. And then he said the game lets the twin cast the twin casted prey upon resolve and both creatures fight and go to their respective graveyards. Uh, but his question is, isn't the phantasmal image becoming a target again when you copy the prey upon? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. It should it should have it should have triggered. It should have triggered so, and it should have been sacrificed. Yeah. Yep. So so when you copy a spell, okay, that targets that copy is going to target. Okay, it's, it doesn't matter that it w- it wasn't cast, it was put on the stack, it's still targeted. So if you're copying a spell that targets uh, a phantasmal image, that copy is going to target the phantasmal image, and the phantasmal image's trigger that cares about when it gets targeted is going to fire, and poof. Now, the only thing I can really think of is this might be considered there's there are these um, uh, triggers called uh, I think they're called state triggers, mm-hmm. game state triggers that actually that's like, you know, hey, if you have 20 or more, li- you know, if you have 30 or more life, you win the game. Well, those kind of triggers, they trigger, they get put on the stack and they don't actually keep rechecking. It's just that's not going to re-trigger until that that instance of the trigger resolves. Because if it was like, if you have more than 30 life, you win the game. Well, that trigger goes on the stack. And then we check for triggers. And it's like, hey, you're at 30 or more life. So let's put that trigger on the stack. Oh, hey, look, you're at more. Let's put that trigger on the stack. And it just creates, the, it would create this cascade where it's like the game would never end because it just constantly is putting all these triggers on the stack. So those kind of things have this rule on there that says, um, if it's triggered, it's not going to trigger again until the trigger that's on the stack leaves the stack, which is an interesting aside, but has absolutely nothing to do with this question. I apologize, CJ. <laughs> well, you're about to talk a lot because this next one is about Emperor. <laughs> oh, crap. From Scotty Bouton. I already read an email from him. Why am I having a hard time with his last name now? Hello again, Judge Cass. This is Scotty, level zero from Somerset, New Jersey. I had a question about losing the game in Emperor and Abyssal Persecutor, which Abyssal Persecutor says... You can't win and your opponents can't lose. Correct. Basically, these are questions about whether the team loses the game when the Emperor loses at the same time or not and how Abyssal Persecutor and Platinum Angel interact with that. All right, so Brian, give me the very brief overview of what Emperor is. Okay, so Emperor is two teams of three, okay? Um, You sit across from each other. Um, The guy in the middle is the Emperor. And just like, and he's kind of like the king in chess. The game is over when the king is dead or the emperor is dead. You can sacrifice your pawns, your other two teammates. Sure, fine, whatever. Um, But the, the key is to kill the emperor. Okay, now to keep the three guys from just all dogpiling on the emperor, they actually use uh, some modified rules as to who you can attack in this thing called range of influence. So you have your three sets of guys staring at each other the other side by side, the emperor in the middle and his two lieutenants, his two generals, his two peons, whatever you want to call them. Okay, they can attack each other. They have they can attack basically the guy right next to them on the other team. Okay, it helps maybe if you think of them as as in a circle. Okay, Um, you also have the lieutenants, the generals, the peons have a range of influence of one. So if I cast Wrath of God, I'm only affecting one seat. 
So I cannot affect the general directly until uh, uh, one of the peons to his immediate right or left dies. Okay, then the the peon who's who's from the other team who's next to him can now get at him and attack him. Um, emperors have a range of influence of two, so they can cast spells, and it goes a little bit further. So, for example, for range of influence, if one of the peons casts Wrath of God, he is going to destroy all creatures that he controls and within a one-seat hop of him. Okay, it doesn't affect everybody. The emperor, because he has a range of influence of two, if he casts Wrath of God, he's going to get two seats, two hops worth. Okay. At the beginning of the game, both the emperors are three hops away from each other. So someone's got to die before the emperors can see each other. Okay. Okay. All right. So all that square. Okay. We can... Range of... Wow. Uh, I should have saved this question for last so people could have just turned off the episode if they wanted to. But too bad. Wow. Oh, you hate emperor so much. Scenario one. Our two judge cast ca- judge casts casts have decided to battle emperor style. Team one is Emperor Ricky Hayashi, obviously, with his minions Jose Bovada and Sean Cadenese. Team two is Emperor Brian Perlman. It's because he's the eldest. How old is he really? Thirty six million. With Team CJ Schrader and Jess Dunks, Sean has fallen and Jess Dunks is attacking Ricky for the win. Ricky blocks with his Banisher Priest, which has exiled Prilliman's Abyssal Persecutor, but dies due to combat damage. Does Jose live to fight another day? So there's there's a lot of moving parts here. So uh, I I actually had a question that I I don't think I got an answer to, which is is Ricky blocking? Is he still taking lethal damage from from unblocked creatures? Um, so I'm a, so I assume when I answered this, uh, if Ricky's living, then there really isn't a question because you know if Ricky's alive, then of course Jose's alive because you know Ricky's still alive. So I'm assuming that Ricky is going to be taking lethal damage from other unblocked creatures. Um, so what happens is, is we have both the Banisher Priest dying or, or taking lethal damage and Ricky taking lethal damage. Day-based actions are checked at the exact same time. Uh, Ricky dies. And then because of the way the rules are, Jose is also going to lose the game uh, uh, at the same time at, or basically right before uh, Banisher Priest comes in or at the same time the Banisher Priest is coming in. But since that happened just a split second before, he's dead. Okay, so Jose, uh, so Jose doesn't get to play on. Uh, he asked a second scenario question, which was same story, but Ricky has decided not to block with anyone, so he dies. Is Jose still kicking? No, Ricky dies. Jose dies too. If his, the third, if his emperor teams weren't interesting, I would never would have read this email. I I I, <laughs> I understand you hate emperor. <laughs> now this one was actually the one that kind of got me kind of turning my head on the side a little bit he says it's game two the game is going when ricky gets a phone call he must attend a meeting of the clandestine so he concedes however brian has three abyssal persecutors on board sure do sean and jose lose as well or can they win it for their emperor does it change if instead of persecutor jose and sean have platinum angels so basically, I kind of looked at this, and I don't really think the rules quite cover this case explicitly. I thought if the uh, emperor loses, you lose. Right, but he's but saying I, that that I have an abyssal persecutor out that says they can't lose. Oh, okay, whatever. You still lose. It's emperor. Right, and so I say, <laughs> but it does implicitly when you concede, you lose. Uh, uh, 
you know, teammates lose when the Emperor loses. Uh, Abyssal Persecutor doesn't really stop your losing due to concession. Like, okay. Yeah. It just doesn't. You can you can argue that, say, you know, the, the whole point of Emperor is when the Emperor's dead, game's over, man. It's right. a game over, man. Yeah, I think we can apply this to Two-Headed Giant in the same way. I mean, if one of the heads of the two heads leaves... The whole team still loses, even with Abyssal Persecutor out. Right. And there might be there might be something in the MTR if someone wants to point that out. Sure. Great. But I said, you know, sure, you can argue that. Come on, man. Abyssal Persecutor says you can't lose the game. And then I'll argue it's Emperor. It's how it works. And then we ultimately agree that, you know, we'll keep on playing because it's for the lulls. Who cares? It's, ca- it's, it's Emperor. It's, it's casual. Who cares? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, you're, you're, you lose. (laughs) Ricky, Ricky loses when his team loses by game over. But if you want to play it out because for a funny story, sure. Why not? Team new judge cast wins every time. Absolutely. (laughs) He actually, uh, put the names in the opposite order. We just changed them so that we were constantly winning. (laughs) That's not true. Uh, he also had a question about basically templating, but honestly, the answer is sometimes they think different things sound better than other things. So yeah, that's what they do. Yep. All right. Next email from Rachel Connolly. Hi, wonderful guys at JudgeCast. I want to thank you guys for the hard work you do and the laughs you give me when I listen to your podcast. When working outdoors in the middle of the night, I feel like I'm getting to participate in conversations about the games I enjoy rather than feeling the cold, oppressive darkness that surrounds me. Wow. That was dark. It was dark. Well, it's night. I actually haven't read this one yet. So uh, not only has your podcast been highly entertaining, it has helped me gain a better understanding of the many, many rules in magic. One of my favorite episodes has been your episode on layers. Yeah, that was a good one. Anyway, the reason I'm contacting you is because I wish to become a level one judge. I've been playing magic off and on since 1995, and this game actually brought my husband and I together. 16 years of marriage. Not only have we continued to play, but both of our children play as well. Youngest was eight as his first pre-release and oldest started Magic Club at his high school. Nice. So so just as an aside. Oh, sorry. Go on, James. No, I was just going to. Well, the only really aside was was a similar thing for me. My Michelle, who's now my wife, she was sneaky. She when she first met me, she pretended to know about magic so she could talk to me about something. Hey, yeah, (laughs) I play this game magic. Let's go and play somewhere and. And interact. Yeah, I've been playing for ages. Psst, what's magic? <laughs> so we, we went out on a, on this cunning pretext that she knew all about magic and she didn't. Just that just, really? Just to get that's the way that works? Yeah. That that she Wow, you're a lucky guy. <laughs> uh, magic has created a baby boy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it works, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Magic. I mean, magic, right? Yeah. That's that's how my parents told me it works. Uh, now that our children are older i'm reading the email again this is not me talking about my own life okay now that our children are older i want to give back to the community that has supported me for so long i've passed my rules advisor test and i'm getting experience judging at fnm and uh, at my local store unfortunately i know no judges personally i want to find a mentor who can advise me through the process and eventually give me the test when they think i am ready but i've had problems finding one as i work at night my schedule isn't conducive to meeting in person i'd love to correspond via email or text if a mentor could help me that way if any of you wonderful judges could help advise me in finding someone to mentor me i would greatly appreciate the assistance um i guess so she doesn't have to be so lonely in the cold oppressive darkness that surrounds her (laughs) So, so James, just just how would if if 
if you were going to instruct this uh, uh, this person on on how to go forward, what uh, what might be a good way to go about it? Like, um, like she's looking, she's looking to she's looking to get a hold of somebody that can help her out, but she doesn't know where to turn. Are we assuming that she can't um, physically meet any judges because there's just no qualified judges at events she can yeah. get to, or she just doesn't know? Yeah, she doesn't know any. Period. She doesn't yes. know where she can go or where she can uh, turn. She would want to turn to her friendly neighborhood super duper regional coordinator. Yes. And try and get in contact with him. Now, does it say where what's where she is, where she comes from? Yeah, it's Kentucky. Yes. So it's Dan Stevens. It's Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, Kentucky Dan Stevens. Dan's a lovely, lovely guy. He is. He's uh, fantastic. He is. And he posts pictures on Facebook shirtless. shirtless. Yeah. Yes. I saw that. <laughs> yes, sir. Hello, Hello ladies. <laughs> yes. And apparently he's joined the X-Men. Yeah, he's got like looking at that tattoo on his chest. Yeah. Right. So. Um, interesting. I can give you a little bit of sort of breaking news, I guess. Um, okay. Dan Stevens, who is the regional coordinator for the central region of America, he's also split his area up into little bits. So he, she could contact Dan Stevens himself. And bear with me a second. I'm just looking for Dan's email address. Oh, we, we, uh, we sent it to her. Uh, we don't need to. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we, we that, but also that, that very excellent Bern Bald is also um, helping Dan out in Kentucky and helping oh. to run things down there. Bern, uh, he is, I like him. <laughs> I like him a lot. Bern is super duper. He is a judge I've got a lot of time for. And he's been doing a lot of work in Kentucky. He was down recently in Louisville, head judging a PTQ. And he made six new level one judges within the end of the day. <laughs> Bang. Wow. It's just all kinds of awesome burn. Right. Nice. So the main point of this email is you just if you have no idea who to go to, your regional coordinator is the person to go to. Uh, you can look that up at wiki.magicjudges.org. If you do get to meet your regional coordinator, just tell him to put his shirt back on so he's a bit <laughs> less scary. Yes. Absolutely. That actually goes for our regional coordinator, too. Yes. yes. Oh, you'll never do that. You'll, you, you'll never see him without his whippy shirt. Justin Turner, put your shirt back on. Um, we got our next mail. Like, oh, gosh, it's hot in here. Oh, my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's always saying. I don't get it. It's like middle winter. Yeah. Uh, good. Well, it's Florida, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's... All right, Christopher Meyer sends us another mail. Uh, I definitely remember that he sent a follow-up mail, which had some nice things to say, but he wanted me to just add it secretly to the start of this one, but I already archived that one, so I'm just going to read his mail. Uh, James, I'm going to throw this one to you because we've heard enough from Brian right, right now. Is the extra mana produced when you tap a swamp for mana with Crypt Guest on the field count as mana produced by Crypt Guest? Okay, so <laughs> to put it another way, if I have a Crypt Guest... Oh, let me read Crypt Guest real quick. Yeah, let me find Crypgast. Crypgast reads, uh, he has a store, but whenever you tap a swamp for mana, add black to your mana pool. So it adds another mana to your mana pool. Right. So his question is, if I have Crypgast on the battlefield and tap two swamps, can I cast Mirror Superior with the extra mana? And Mirror Superior says, spend only mana produced by creatures to cast Mirror Superior. Spend mana only created by creatures? Yeah. Crypgast. Oh, and the, I guess the Crypt Ghast is a creature itself. Yeah, so he's only using the mana that came from the triggers from Crypt Ghast. So he's tapping two swamps, so he's adding a total of four mana to his mana pool, two of it from the triggers. Oh. And the Mirror Superior costs two, so. Gosh, 
That is a great question. Yeah, I thought you so said too. Bad type of cell. <laughs> anyway, let me just read this a couple of times. Where did you tap a swamp for mana? So it's a triggerability, triggerability on the crypt ghast. So I would imagine that the the crypt ghast is uh, interesting. And the superior can only be cast by mana created by creatures. Yes. Is that right? Yep. And only mana produced by creatures to cast mere superior. I guess since the, the crib ghast is the source of the, the triggered ability, then I'm going to put my bets and say that the, the mana source is the crib ghast itself. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I believe because it's exactly what you said. The source of the triggered ability is crib ghast. Therefore, right. this, the ultimate source of the mana was crib ghast. But yeah, it is kind of an you interesting know, question because usually... You know, this is one of the things One of the things I love about magic. Once in a while, I'll get something hard. I've just never come across something like that before. I have to work that out from base principles. Yeah, I can't find any holes in that. I, I think... Assuming that's the only mana he's using to cast it. Oh, yeah, it just takes two superior, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So you could use that too. Yeah, it sounds to me like it's going to work. What does the Prelimin say? CJ told me that I couldn't. I've been talking too much, so <laughs> I was just sitting back. Uh, but yeah, it's it's produced by it's produced by Cryptgast, so okay. you can spend that and make yourself some of your superions, which um, I believe the German uh, text on Mir Superion is Ubermir. <laughs> yes, that's right. I've heard that before. Yes. So uh, yes, that's awesome. All right, we got we got six more left. Let's power through. Power yes. through. I was thinking we might cut off a little early, but let's just do it. Let's just get through them all. All right. Another one from Chris Meyer. Uh, hello again, Judge Cass. As I was questing across the state whilst listening to your pleasant bickering and discussing, discussing the rules of magic, uh, the gathering, I had a quandary involving the new wording of the Fiend Hunter Oblivion Ring-esque cards. So suppose you had Banisher Priest. So let me read it real quick. When Banisher Priest enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until Banisher Priest leaves the battlefield. Uh, you target a card, uh, let's say a bear cub. In response to the trigger, say something were to happen to the poor Banister Priest, some unholy blades of doom happened to him. When his trigger resolves, it's a her, isn't it? Yeah, it's a her. Come on, guys. When, is it, when her trigger resolves, will the creature be exiled and immediately re-enter the battlefield or will it never leave? So th- this is this is one of the 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 things it's basically if if the duration of um Let's see here. The rules. The rule specifically says if the specified event has already occurred when the initial one-shot effect would cause the object to change zones, the object doesn't move. So what what that is is that's just a fancy way of saying if the banisher priest disappears before its trigger finishes resolving, uh, it, it's it, the the thing that you're exiling isn't going to go anywhere. So if the duration ends before it was even going to start, it doesn't do anything. It just whiffs. Yeah, just whatever. whatever. Just as, was that a whiff? Yeah, that was a. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and it's the same. It's the same thing for like control changing effects, where it's like, you know, it's like when this enters the battlefield, you know, gain control of target creature for as long as this is on the battlefield. Well, in response to the trigger, I doom blade it or right. whatever. You don't ever gain control of the creature for even like a half a second. It doesn't change. It just stays where it is. I finishes up by saying the li- the life of this man is in your hands, Almighty Judges. Show him the way, lead him to judgment. And he says, "Love the show as always." If you couldn't tell with my too many emails, love always, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. You're sweetie. <clears throat> All right, this next one is from Brian B. 
Uh, he says at the top, insert wild praise of excellent show and talented hosts here. What's funny is, is all of this is starting to get a little long, but still I'm like, hey, don't be lazy with it. I mean, if you're going to do it. <laughs> right. I know, right? I see three paragraphs. Like, I know. Like, <laughs> it's like we've been recording now for almost two hours, and <laughs> I'm just like, oh, boy, I just want to get this through. But, hey, wait, where's the praise? Where's the praise? <laughs> where's the praise? <laughs> I have a question about policy during events relating to methods of determining a winner outside the game. This seems like an edge case, but I'm sure it has happened before. Obviously, the coin flipping and similar things are expressly forbidden, but what about the following scenario for which there is no mention in any document? So, at a standard FNM, regular REO, Nick and Ned have been paired together for their round. They decide that they would rather play their round with their modern decks and agree to submit the result. Is this okay? Uh, yeah. I noticed we haven't actually responded to this one yet. I think Whoops. all of us were just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yes, no. well, I was going to say, yes, you are playing a game of magic, but... Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead, James. But yeah, no, James. I was just going to say, not the game you are supposed to be playing. Right, right. Which is, you know, hey, there's lots of games. You know, arm wrestling or tiddlywinks or whatever is also games that you're not supposed to be playing. So, uh, no, that that uh, that's you're you're not using the proper method. To just, you're improperly determining a winner right there. So, uh, yeah. So, wah, wah, wah. yeah. So basically, just play the game that you're supposed to play like if you really wanted to play uh your modern decks then maybe you should talk to your to and get him to run uh modern fnms yeah so what what would happen if two players did do this uh you're improperly determining a winner uh, guilty. So, yeah even at regular reo uh at regular rel uh you are using an outside the game means to determine an a winner so dairy queen yeah and that's that's kind of one of the things where it's it 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 sucks and it seems trivial and that kind of thing but at the same time these guys intentionally you know they 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 decided to do something other than uh, uh what they were supposed to be doing and they they based the results of the match on something other than the game that they were supposed to be playing. And it feels, you know, it's like, ah, but it was still a game of magic. Well, you know, if they'd busted out their limited decks and played, you know, was that, that's, uh, that's not even uh, the right format. Yeah. You know, they're not even playing constructed anymore. And so where's, where's the line? The line is, are you playing the game that you're supposed to be playing? Right. All right. Next email from Brian Thomas. Uh, he says, hey, Judge Cast, just got done judging at SCG Somerset, Somerset, Somerset for both opens. And there was a situation that came up. I wanted your expertise on. I am pretty sure on the sequence of plays, but this is told to me by other judges. So he says in the legacy portion, Amy is playing Nicole. Amy casts diminishing returns. So dim- diminishing returns says each player shuffles his or her hand and graveyard into his or her library. You exile the top 10 cards of your library. Then each player draws up to seven cards. So you shuffle your hand and graveyard all into your library. Then the player who casts it exiles the top 10. And then each player draws probably seven cards. The spell resolves. Both players shuffle their hand, blah, blah. Amy proceeds to cast Lotus Petal, cracks it, and casts Brainstorm. She draws three cards from Brainstorm. And then Nicole remembered Amy did not exile the top ten cards. The deep question is, how would you go about fixing or correcting this? So, yeah, I mean, and then he correctly points out that this would be a GRV for... Yeah, 
So, so basically, this the situation is: um, was a diminishing returns tells you to shuffle your hand library. What exile ten cards, then then uh, then seven. draw. Yeah. So exile ten cards, then draw seven. And in this particular case, we had uh, Nancy or Nicole rather complete the spell properly, but Amy forgot to to exile the ten cards before she drew her seven. Right. Okay. And then she goes on to cast. Uh, Lotus Petal, Cass cracks it, casts Brainstorm, right. draws three from the Brainstorm, and is in the middle of resolving Brainstorm when Nicole notices or recognizes the fact that Amy didn't exile the top ten cards. So, uh, anybody have any strong opinions about which way to go on this? So, okay, so first off, to make sure we're on the same page, um, let's see, Amy casts Dimension Returns. Okay, so Amy's going to get a GRB here, and Nicole's going to get Failure to Maintain Game State. Like, we know that for sure. Yep, I can fine. agree with that, uh, yes. There's no disagreement there. So the discussion is whether or not we're going to rewind. Uh, my my gut reaction is I don't think I can rewind this one. I don't think... So there's no partial fix that applies here, right? Like, um, right. just exiling sure. straight from the library. There's no partial fix we can talk about. Right. Uh, the fact that she's seen 10 cards off the top now, that seems pretty, uh, pretty hefty. So my, my gut here is not to rewind, but I'm not saying I'm uh, married to it either. Yeah, it's it's just kind of messy to 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 rewind because, you know, there have been spells cast. There have been decisions made. uh, uh and it's in this particular case, and both players do share the responsibility of making sure that uh, the the game is being executed properly, or the steps that you're you're doing are done. So, I'm I'm probably like if I if I had to say it, I'm probably in like the eighty twenty camp of uh, leaving as is, and I don't really know what would make me you know rewind at this particular point. So it might even be higher. Right. Right. James, you agree with all that? I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the other sort of benchmarks is that uh, between rewinding and not, will will the course of the game change? And I think, obviously, the course of the game will change. She's not, she's not going to carry out the same actions right. once it's rewind, you know? I mean, I think the old simple example is uh, if there was some kind of game rule violation for playing a, a shock spell or a burn spell, and there's something that isn't caught. The opponent then plays a counter spell, and then you think, "Oh, okay, we shouldn't have done that. Should we rewind?" Well, we've got more information now because if you did rewind back, would that original player still go ahead and play the burn spell? And they, well, he's probably not going to because he knows about a counter spell in the opponent's hand. So the 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 <clears throat> route or the direction the game would take has been altered. Right. So these situations, if it looks like the course of the game is going to change because of the information that's been found, then we can't really rewind back. Right. And it might it might seem like a oh well you know we'll just leave all their hands the same and just grab the top ten cards off of Amy's library and exile them because you know there's ten cards are supposed to be exiled yeah. that that is not uh, a partial fix that is allowed from the right. the game rule violation in that case you are deviating and you need to look and see if you're going to deviate you need to look to see if uh, you're meeting the criteria for deviations. And right. this doesn't strike me as something that that meets that criteria. 
you always have to think about the consequences yeah. of any decision you make, yeah. especially if you're thinking about deviating. Yes, it is. It is neither significant. It, it in order to deviate it has to be both significant and exceptional. Right. No, 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 no. It doesn't really meet that criteria. No, not today. And so, so in a follow up, he, he mentions that another judge would say, you know, ask, is it fair to have Amy still have those 10 cards in the library? Um, to to which I just want to point out that, you know, as judges, we're not trying to look at what's fair. You know, we're not trying to say, well, what's the optimal, most fair for both players solution here? We just try to fix the problem and then move on with our lives. Don't you when you sign off every episode, you say you're CJ Schrader and you keep it fair. That's different, guys. <laughs> you're trying to strike him. Yeah. Just saying, man. From, from the IPG, though, uh, these procedures do not and should not take into account the game being played, the current situation the game is in, or who will benefit strategically from the procedure associated with the penalty. Uh, while it is tempting right. to try to fix the game situation, it's a danger of missing a subtle detail or showing clear. So let me let me reward this. It's okay. fair to all players in the entire tournament to have the same fix happen every time. Right. Yes. Then, sure. yeah, which may be, quote, unquote, unfair to uh, Nicole at this situation right now. But right. in the grand scheme. And then scope, if that happens, and- but if that happens, the, the players don't have a problem with the judge because he's following the rules. Mm-hmm. They've got a problem with the rules of the game, not the judge. And also, Nicole did have an opportunity to notice and, and that she does have some responsibility for making sure that the actions of the game, uh, the required by the game, are are done. So she does have some responsibility in this. Right. You know, so she's but it's not fair. Well, you had opportunities to notice. Right. OK, so. Yep. OK, next email from C.S. Williams. He says, uh, first off, because why not? I recently started listening to your show. Most recent and moving backward. I love that. Don't go too. Why far not? Back, <laughs> why not? Listen, why, why not? Back in time. Wow. Okay, it's been a while, but okay, good. Uh, and enjoy the explanations you have for the rules and the humor you inject into them. Thanks for putting your time into it. For the question and a bit of a preamble, I've been planning on attending Gen Con for a few months now, but only recently got into MTG again. I've only played one draft at an FNM and a few on MTGO. I do okay and have a good time, so I'm interested in playing at Gen Con, but don't, don't know what level I should be playing at or at to make it worth my while or how caught up on the rules I need to be so I don't TQ right off the line. Any advice would be helpful, thanks. One second before we get started with this, I did forget, we should have mentioned this in the news, but um, the mention of Gen Con reminded me. The Magic Online Judge Open is back. Yes. Oh, yes. So why not do it in the middle of this email? That's a uh, a free Magic Online tournament for judges. Uh, it's taking place August 17th at noon Eastern time and another date as well. Yeah, the beginning of September, uh, I think. And the, the, the times are posted on the Magic Judges Facebook page. Uh, so go there, check it out. Um, one change from other years is the packs are, I don't know, they call them like ghost, ghost Phantom. packs or phantom packs, right? It's, and that's basically because, um, well, it's no shocker that some, you know, judges can be jerks too. Um, <gasps> yeah, I know. Right. But in previous years, uh, there have been a lot of judges who have registered for the online, the, the, the free tournament cracked their packs and then dropped immediately so that you had a lot of a lot of judges sitting around round one, um, you know, with no opponent. And just like just like in real life tournaments, that really sucks. 
you know, like having a few, you know, just having a lot of people just sitting around kind of twiddling their thumbs. And enough judges did this that it kind of ruined it for everyone else. So to discourage people from doing that, they said, well, they're going to be phantom packs. And then you get wins or you get packs based on your wins. So you you have to play to get packs right. so that these people um, I'm going to say it, these jerks. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. yeah. Because isn't it true, Brian? Isn't it true that as long as you signed up online for the tournament, even if you couldn't play, you would have gotten the packs on your online account anyway. Right. You would well, get uh, three packs. Three. You got three. So if you didn't play, if you didn't play in either open, you got three packs in your account. Right. But but these guys, so for three extra packs online, they basically screwed over another judge for an hour. Yeah. And and I think that's for 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 us who are trying to be like a community. Uh, that's kind of a crappy thing to do. Yeah. So and for some of those judges, some of those judges, you know, depending on where you were in the world, that was maybe at three a.m. sitting around twiddling your thumbs as well. Right. 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 I stayed up late for this. Thanks a lot. You know, <laughs> Hacksaws sixty nine. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so this this is supposed to be a community event. I mean, it's not supposed to be a competitive got to get my packs event. Um, right. So if, if you really want like a competitive event, just go play an 8-4 or something like just just pass off on this one, guys. But I, I think it's a I love this event. Like, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and yes. The very first one I was able to do. And, you know, I, I actually got paired up with Jose Boveda, former host of the show. And that was just like a blast. Um, just getting to just talk to just random judges from all over the world. I, I think it's really cool. And all you need is a magic on account. Did you beat him? No, he destroyed me. Oh, <laughs> it was very devastating. So I took your show. Why <laughs> I win? Who, who's the winner now? That'll show him. Yeah. All right. So to, All right. to answer C.S. Williams' question. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, Gen Con, things did not get you DQ. James, are you uh, are you working Gen Con this year? I am working on Friday this year. Usually I, I get to work all four days, but um, college work starting early. And I did decide this year to go and see a heart concert on Saturday. Heart? Instead of watching this. Yeah. The old, uh, yeah, the old 80s, 90s rock band. Uh, I know Art. They played, they played last year the same weekend as a judge conference I was running. So I was kind of missed then. I didn't want to miss them two years in a row. But um, now, <laughs> now my T.O. is angry with me for missing Gen Con. <laughs> um, you know, he can go to Gen Con. He will have a blast. Gen Con is incredible. And all the magic events are being run by pastimes. And pastimes are top-notch. They've got tournaments for for beginners, um, moderate players or intermediate players and experts. They'll be running booster drafts all day, and he can just draft all day like a crazy fool. Um, they, as soon as they get another eight players, they'll run another draft. So, and, so what's, what's something that he needs to be aware of since he's worried about getting DQ'd? Uh, yeah. what, what are things, what are things he should avoid doing? Well, you know, as we said earlier, that, um, you don't want to tr be in a situation where you might be giving a bribe or, or accepting a bribe. You have a quid, you have a problem. If something doesn't seem right to you, ask a judge. There'll be plenty of floor judges wandering around, um, in the black and white shirts that you can ask questions of. If in doubt, ask a judge. Don't ask your opponent. Don't take your opponent's word for things. Um, ask a judge. All right. Um, one one other thing uh, to to avoid. Um, 
offering to roll to determine winner or anything like that. You know, yeah. some t- sometimes you get towards the end and you're just like, oh, well, this game's going on. Time's getting called. Who's going to win the match? A draw is an acceptable match result. So don't like, oh, well, let's just roll to see who wins or let's cut our deck and see who's got the highest casting cost or let's have a staring contest or Rochambeau you for it or whatever. Uh, none of that, because uh, yeah. that's that's also bad. Um, lying, uh, noticing a problem, and then not calling a judge to gain an advantage is 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 pretty bad too. And that's and that's at any type of event. Uh, but yeah, it sounds it sounds like it sounds like there's going to be a lot of events that are that are you know friendly to to new players. Just don't get involved in any uh, uh, grand melee multiplayer events. Yes. They do that at Gen Con, right? Yeah, they still do. They'll run what some of them run through the night. Um, so if he wants to, you know, take a sleeping bag, don't do and that. Some, and some lunch. Don't. I mean, do that. the first one I think they did. Um, they started at six o'clock in the evening a couple of years ago with about maybe 150 players. Wow. And I finished my shift in the evening, came back next morning, and they were still going. Jeez. That was a, like a 16-hour event, I think it was. Why would you do that to yourself? And no one can go like infinite combo just do it does it not work they've they've i think they've worked with some of the higher level judges and they've worked out some some unique rules for playing uh, that kind of format because wow. it came up it did produce some unique problems as well but and i on a related note i know it's not really asking specifically about gen con itself and the problems you have one advice, piece of advice, if you've never been before, whatever tournament you you want to play in, go early because your biggest problem will be trying to get the tickets. You can't just turn up with cash or a credit card at a pastimes table. You've got to go to the um, the stations around Gen Con and buy tickets to get into tournaments. You might want to buy a whole bunch of generic tickets which are not meant for a specific tournament, but go early. You can easily be in line for an hour before you can get the tickets to then go to the magic table and enter an event. Really? Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why do they do it that way? And what do they what? Sorry. Why do they do it that way? Well, I mean, I think Gen Con does a great job, but you've just got so many people turning up and you know trying to buy their tickets late last minute. Um, it's just difficult for them to get through get through the crowd. A lot of people, they turn up, they don't know what kind of tournament they want to play in. So the poor person who's been really nice at the front desk has to look through the magazine and find a tournament for them to play in, then work out, you know, and often there's like lots of people to help, but there's maybe only one printer. So you have to wait for the person next to you who's getting his tickets printed before you can get tickets printed. It can get ugly. So turn up with lots of time. You need a, to be safe a couple of hours before your event starts so you can buy your tickets. And then some people are buying tickets for the whole weekend in one shot. And so, you know, it's like the speed of the printer printing off those tickets. That's what slows things down. But they've got lots of people to help and they're super nice. But, oh, my goodness, sometimes it takes a long time. So, if you're, you know, you can't treat it like like you would normally go to a PDQ with just 10 minutes before the event starts. You're going to be, you won't get your tickets until maybe 40 minutes after the event already started. So you're going to be disappointed. Ouch. You've got to go early. All right. Well, I guess that, that just uh, shows that even nerds 
can wait till the last minute to do things. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'm a smart guy. I'll just still wait till the last possible minute to get my tickets. Hey, James, so when he goes to these events, uh, is he going to be a magic man? That was a heart reference. That was a heart oh, okay. sitting on this yeah. whole time. <laughs> I was the, slow there. You're the worst. <laughs> you're the worst. You're the absolute worst. All right. You are, you are Mickey. Our next email comes from a man with no name. Uh, and all he's asking is, is there a podcast you guys have done where it talks about some of the common things people shouldn't do while shuffling? Uh, I don't think we could fill a whole topic on this, a whole podcast. I do want to mention that in JudgeCast number 36, which is our second episode of new JudgeCast, I think. Third episode. Um, we had Arthur Halibase on and he did talk a little bit about the, the old double nickel stuff like that. Um, so that might be interesting. But we also talk about lapsing abilities on that episode. Uh, just ignore all of that. Uh, but beyond that, shuffle. I mean, you shouldn't know the position of any cards in your deck. Like, that's all there right, is to right. shuffling. So, yeah. So, a, a common thing that people should do, uh, you know, don't mana weave and then give two riffle shuffles. Uh, don't just pile shuffle. Um, don't, when you're bridging your cards, don't look at the faces of the cards as you're shuffling them. Right. I've seen like some players like shuffle with their fa- with the card facings faces up like because they're like, oh, well, I want to bend them. You know, I'm bending them one way. I want to bend them the other way so right. that they don't get. Yeah, no, no. Look, fine. Do that on your own time. But that's, that doesn't actually count if you're like looking at all the cards face up. That's not really shuffling. Multiple methods for your shuffling. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We got several riffles, several, several mash. Riffle, you know. riffle. All right. Riffle, riffle, riffle. Power shuffles don't count. Last one. Let's do it. I think this Uh-oh. was 18 emails and one of them was seven questions in one email. So yeah. All right. All right. From Simon. He says, hi guys. I thought your recent show on casting a spell was insightful. I think I knew most of it already, but the small nuances and lesser known interactions you mentioned were very interesting. I have a question about when players get priority in between casting spells. It is Azusa's main phase and the stack is empty. In her hand is Azusa, yeah. Okay. Yeah, at first I thought I had to look up a card and I was like, no, that's a player's name. Um, Okay, good. In her hand is Raven's Crime, which says target player discards a card and it has retrace uh, and a land. Neferox, her opponent, has two cards in hand. <laughs> Damn it. I mean, ch- shucks, Simon. Uh, Portculus, Portculus, and Fairy Macaws. I know why he put Portculus in hand. So, so do you know, James, we've made this reference a few times. There was an episode a while back where someone asked a, a question about uh portcullis or porculus or whatever and we and we got distracted because we couldn't figure out what the proper pronunciation (laughs) was i said it like eight times and then jess was like portcullis and i was like oh okay porculus porculus you know porculus porculus um okay so azusa has raven's crime in a land nephrox has um two cards in the hand it's porculus and fairy macabre um which reads discard fairy macabre exile up to two target cards from graveyards if Azusa casts Raven's Crime, uh, targeting Nephrox, yeah, targeting Nephrox, with the intention to retrace it afterwards, does Nephrox gain priority after Raven's Crime resolves and before Azusa can cast it again with retrace to exile it with Fairy? Okay, Cop? so so basically, after after Raven's Crime resolves. It's in the graveyard. Raven's Crime has just finished resolving. Okay. If Azusa wants to cast it again, can Neferox do anything to stop her? Right. 
i.e. getting using fairy macabre to to get rid of uh the raven's crime anyone cj have you actually answered any of these questions so far uh just the easy ones oh, okay <laughs> uh the answer is no yes. no yeah so now yes no no it's wait yes. hold on wait hey, 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 hey. don't put words in my mouth <laughs> all right so since it's azusa's turn when raven's crime resolves Azusa is going to get priority, okay? If Azusa wants to cast the spell right now, she can because she has priority. And part of the put it, casting the spell is putting it on the stack and all that. Now, if she says, you know, go to combat, you know, pass priority in any way, well, then, yeah, the opponent will have priority and they can use Fairy Macabre to exile uh, Raven's Crime. But assuming the intent is for the person, for Azusa to Raven's Crime immediately afterwards, they're probably going to while they still have priority. Uh, we see a similar question a lot with the uh, if I play a planeswalker, can I use its ability before the opponent can bolt it? And it's basically the exact same thing. Now, what what might what there might be a little bit of confusion here is people are like, oh, but I heard that when I, you know, when I cast a spell that my opponent, you know, if I don't say anything, my opponent immediately gets priority. And that's true, but that's on casting a spell, not on spells resolving. Yeah. So, yes, when casting a spell, when you cast a spell, unless you explicitly say otherwise, you are passing priority to your opponent. Okay, then if he does nothing, then that spell is going to resolve. And when it resolves, active player gets priority, period. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's there is no, you know, oh, well, shortcut or any of that stuff. You've got it. It's yours. Use it. Use it wisely. So Simon has one more question. If a Raven's Crime in a graveyard is being targeted with Fairy Macabre, so we're going to try to exile it here. Can the owner of Raven's Crime use an effect like Quicken? <laughs> yes. I just realized these are these are um, citations because he has the cards at the bottom. So he has like Quicken and then bracket three, close bracket. This is nice. I don't even see the email you're talking about, man. He says, uh, can he use an effect like Quicken? So Quicken says, the next sorcery card you cast this turn can be cast as though it had Flash. Uh, it can be cast anytime you can cast an instant to retrace the Raven's Crime. So he wants to use cast Quicken and then retrace Raven's Crime in response to the Fairy Macabre. If so, will the card be exiled when the Fairy Macabre ability resolves or does the spell go into the stack then back to the graveyard make the game think it is a new object? I know this happens with permanents when they flicker, but wasn't sure about cards and graveyards. And the answer is yes. Yep. Quicken lets you cast um, sorcery cards as if they had flash. It applies. Oh, what? what? Oh, this is the guy that I started asking questions back to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. OK. Yeah, you started like quizzing them, but whatever. <laughs> we usually don't ask questions back to the listeners, but you did. Uh, the answer is yes. Quicken applies here. Quicken doesn't say, you know, the next sorcery card you cast from your hand or anything like that. It just says the next sorcery card you cast and uh, uh, retrace lets you cast a card from your graveyard. By also discarding a land so yeah all right i found it all right so yeah i started i started asking him questions <laughs> rules questions it's fun if you the listeners out there want to contact us you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com uh, maybe brian perlman will send you a question back who knows i know <laughs> james uh if people want to get a hold of you uh how can they do so hey wait why would you want to get a hold of me facebook.com slash judgecast twitter.com slash judgecast okay go ahead <laughs> And my, I guess the one email that I never fail to read every single day is my Dr. Wire account. Dr. Full Thing Full Thing Redden Out D O C T O R under slash W H Y at hotmail.com. Did you say under slash? Did you say hotmail? Under you must be a time traveler. Well, I said flash underscore. 
Okay. And he said Hotmail. I've got a Hotmail account too, man. Yeah, but you're old. He's a time traveler. Whoa. He is a from time traveler. From the past. He is a time traveler from the from the future past. That's right. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else you want to plug? Anything like that, James? Or um, I guess I should really plug and direct people to Magic Judge apps if they log in. We have a judge conference coming up at the end of the month, uh, Labor Day weekend. Saturday, the 31st of August, and Sunday, the 1st of September, in St. Louis at the Fantasy Shop. We're taking names for uh, people to come to two days of conferences, uh, of talks. We have got a free judge draft during the weekend, and uh, people coming from the the Midwest region and Central region uh, presenting seminars. And we've already got 80 judges signed up for this one, which is a record for us. Um, and that might be a record outside of a Pro Tour or a Grand Prix. I'm not sure. But you could meet lots of judges, make lots of new friends, hear lots of good seminars from people like Ingrid Lindjan and Peter Jan and others, and just have a super-duper time for two days. Sounds super. It does. Yeah. It does. All right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you, sir. All right, James. Well, thank you so much for being on with us and reading a ton of emails. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Brian, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, Yes. Don't blink. Blink and you're dead. They're fast, faster than you can believe. Don't turn your back. Don't look away. And don't blink. Good luck. All right. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. My name is Brian Perlman. I keep it wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. (laughs) I'm James Elliott. Don't forget to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow and keep it sexy. (laughs) There you go. Great. Fine. Whatever. On a, on a high note, you've at least got me changing probably three or four diapers in this time. Oh, good. Oh, you were changing diapers? Well, not at the time, but of course I had this important um, online conference to do. So, Oh, you got out of changing diapers. Out, oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Hey, if we uh, get nothing else but get you out of changing diapers, then JudgeCast has right. done its job. Excellent. That's actually why I started podcasting with these guys is to avoid having to change diapers.